This is Game On, discussing the biggest games and all the latest sports news with Johnny Montabano and Hank and Dichter on the Empty the Bench Podcast Network. Showtime, folks. It's episode 48 of Game On here on the Empty the Bench Podcast Network. Johnny Montepano and Hank and Dick there with you. Hank, good to see you. How you doing? Johnny, I'm doing pretty good. It's been a minute, my friend. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm doing well. You know, once again, last week we were very, very busy, so unfortunately couldn't do the show. But we're back in a big way today. And on a special day, we are premiering the show on Wednesday. So everything's good there. We decided to let the uh, NCAA championship happen before we came aboard and doing. And you can see Hank and I rocking out both halves of MSG right now, which we're going to get to over the course of the episode. So looking forward to that. That's right. Hockey coming down the stretch. Basketball coming down the stretch. You know, baseball just starting up. We've got a lot to get to here over the course of the episode. And folks, we want to hear from you as well. Plenty of ways for you to board. You can follow us on social media, on Facebook and Twitter at GameOnETB, on Instagram, GameOn underscore ETB. And definitely check out our Instagram account. Hank was at the Rangers and Capitals game over the weekend, and uh, he showed some cool stuff, and he's going to be showing us some more stuff coming up this week. So stay tuned for that. And, of course, check us out on our YouTube channel at YouTube.com slash ETB Network. Leave us a like. If you're new, hit that subscribe button. And, of course, have your notifications set for all of our Game On and Empty the Bench podcast network content. So, And, of course, our website, etbpodcast.com. Hank just put out an article this week up as well. So go check that out as well. So, Hank, a lot to get to as we usually do here on the show. We're going to get to a lot of basketball over the course of the show between the NCAA tournament wrapping up as UConn dominated their way through the field of 68 so we'll get to that. We've got NBA news both on and off the court. The NBA and the NBA PA agreed to a new seven-year CBA late, what was it, Friday into Saturday. So we'll get into that. We've got, you know, as I said, on the court stuff. My, or I should say our New York Knicks are in the playoffs. Julius Randle is hurt, but it doesn't seem like the Knicks have missed the step. So we're going to get to that. We've got, you know, hockey coming down the stretch. We're in the penultimate week of the hockey season with still a lot of things to figure out in both the Eastern and the Western conferences. We've got baseball opening week happening, uh, new rule changes and all that stuff. We will get to that. And at the very end, if we have time, we will get into the Masters, which does happen this weekend. And, of course, you know, Tiger Woods always going to be a course of the, uh, something to talk about. Is put a capper on the college basketball season as UConn dominated their way through the field of 68 to win their fifth national championship in the last 24 years, beating a San Diego state team. That was also one of the best stories of this tournament. And really, it was really all UConn. you know, they jumped out to a huge lead late first half. They were up by 16 with about two and a half to go. And they really just never looked back from there. And it was really just a trend that the Huskies had all tournament long where they just had big leads, um, suffocating defenses, great scoring and propelled their way to their fifth title in the last 24 years, which is also pretty incredible. And I will get to that in just a little bit. But, Hank, what is your thoughts about the Huskies being national champions once again? So 
as you guys probably know, I didn't really do a bracket this year. I don't know why. I just, for some reason, wasn't really feeling it. But one of the teams that I was definitely considering picking as a champion was UConn. And a big reason why, and you saw it in this game, that's a team that, you know, you don't really have any one particular superstar that they rely on. They just, like, were a complete team. They had a lot of depth right there. And the way they destroyed San Diego State, I mean, you got to give San Diego State credit where credit is due. They had a great run. That was their, I believe that was their actually their first ever trip to the Final Four. No, they had that big buzzer beater against FAU, who was also a good story in and of itself. I believe they're one of the very few nine-seeded teams to make it pretty far but at the end of the day UConn was a very strong team and you know I think a lot of people myself included were pretty shocked that the Huskies were only a number four seed and seeing how they played during the tournament I think it definitely makes sense and you know I was talking to a lot of people at work today I work in the state of Connecticut and there are a number of uh, Huskies alumni so I got to see some pretty happy people at school and um to really put that championship in comparison, I want to piggyback off of what you said about how this is their fifth title within the last, what, 25 years? Someone, 24, yeah. One of, one of my coworkers brought up a good point. So not to get into how old this person is, but they said that they remember UConn winning the NIT titles. And when they would win a game at Madison Square Garden for the Big East tournament, it was a pretty big deal. So it just goes to show you how much that program has really changed in a matter of time. They've become a really good powerhouse. And yeah, Johnny, tell me where I'm wrong because I'm not as big into college basketball as you are, but it feels to me like whenever UConn wins a title, you don't really necessarily have that dominant superstar that like everybody talks about. It's always like a whole team effort. I mean, I know Kemba Walker was great back in 2011, but like, even then, he still they still had a really deep supporting cast, and I, I think Ray Allen's another example too. Back in I want to what was it ninety nine? Yeah, yeah, um, you're you're absolutely right. There's really no one particular player on UConn's teams, and you could say that about the men and the women because you know the women's team, the women's squad has been as consistent as anybody over the last geez, I want to say twenty plus years. Uh, this was probably a down year for them, and they still made a, a pretty deep run as well. So yeah. Like you said, you know, there's no real dominant player. I mean, I go back to when uh, Rip Hamilton was there, uh, one of the buzzer beaters in the tournament. But yeah, and also you look at this UConn organization. This in the last in the in in this run, they've done this now in multiple decades, and with multiple head coaches, starting with Jim Calhoun back in '99, back in in '04 and 2011. Kevin Ali in 2014, and now uh, Dan Hurley. So that's that is a, a thing you see too. With a lot of these programs, sometimes you see just it's one with one coach. Now it's you're talking about multiple coaches spanning multiple decades. I mean that's that's a pretty amazing thing. And UConn, remember, did have a low point several years ago, and they've rebounded in quite the way. And remember, they started out in a very loaded West region of the tournament where you had the likes of Kansas, UCLA, Gonzaga, St. Mary. If you remember early on when I did my Monty moment on the West region in the tournament, 
that region was as loaded as anybody that I've seen in a, in such a long time. And you could have made the case that you could have had final four matchups. If they were, if they were positioned differently, you would, you could have had final four matchups with any of those teams, if they were all in different regions. So it actually makes this run even more remarkable in that they came out of one of the more loaded regions that we've seen in quite some time. And then their actual play, you know, they, they won their, their six NCAA tournament games this year by an average of 20 points, which it's the fourth largest average win since the field expanded to 64 back in 85. You know, the only other schools you're talking about, Hank, here are, are Kentucky back in 96, Villanova in 2016, North Carolina in 2009, and UConn's fourth now at 20, and then back UNLV back in 1990. So that's some, that is quite the list to be on. And again, really when they weren't positioned to be one, I mean, we weren't really talking about them as being the team in the tournament, but it just goes to show you what, what um, schools do when it comes to recruiting players and getting it done. I'm kind of surprised Duke wasn't in that list too, considering how many great teams they've had over the years. Yeah. Great teams and great players. I mean, you talk about a lot of NBA talent out of those UConn teams, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, they could do it both on, on, you know, UConn, I mean, a Duke, I should say was really more of like a defensive team more than an offensive. I mean, they wouldn't put up right. 90 points a game. I mean, this was a UConn team that was putting up, they put up 87, 70, 82, 72, and then 76 of the championship game. So they they could score, not only play defense, but score as well. That's why such an average mar- their average margin of victory was it was crazy. And you know, someone brought this up too. And like, I feel like the only games that they really lost were games that were in their own conference. Everyone who really was outside of UConn that played against them, they just didn't know how to handle them. And ultimately UConn dominated. Yeah. That, 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 17 games against teams outside the Big East, and they won all 17 by double figures. So that, that's that's quite the run they, they ran on. But at the same time, you know, let's talk about San Diego State here because we can't, you know, I mean, you, you feel bad they, they couldn't win, but their ride – to the national championship game was also, you could even, and it's not a crazy way to, a word to use, but historic. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they got past College of Charleston, which I had that as an upset in my bracket. So my bracket, you could rip that out right away. And then they got past Furman pretty handily. Furman, the same Furman who upset Virginia at near at almost a buzzer beater. And then they took down to me with the tournament, Alabama. 71-64 in the Sweet 16, and they got past Creighton, who I thought was a very dark horse with that buzzer beater. You said 57-56, uh, or not not a buzzer beater, but it was a close game. The FAU game in the Final Four was that buzzer beater, 72-71. So they played, unlike UConn, they actually played a lot of low-scoring games, a low-scoring low close games, unlike the dominant UConn was. So the one thing San Diego State, I thought the reason why they had a chance here was their defense was also very suffocating. We saw that throughout in the, in the tournament, but they really hadn't gone up against a dominant offensive squad like UConn. I mean, maybe you want to say Alabama, but uh, Brandon Miller, who might be the top overall pick in the upcoming NBA draft, was not really the same player in this tournament. You know, he was shut down on a couple of occasions. Now, whether that's, you know, great defenses or you want to say that maybe depending or the, the legal stuff that had been going on maybe was affecting him. But, you know, he wasn't the same player, and Alabama wasn't the same team. But you give uh, San Diego State a lot of credit. You know, they 
put a school that really not many people knew about on the map. And that's one of the things that this tournament can do. And Hank, when you have an NCAA, when you have a tournament, that's a single elimination tournament, you know, it changes, it changes uh, because if you're playing like a regular best of three, best of five, best of seven, especially like when it comes to basketball, more often than not, the, the most talented team wins. But in a single elimination tournament, anything is possible. And we've seen that here. I mean, this whole tournament, and I know we'll do a whole recap in just a few minutes here, but that's the beauty of this tournament is that all it's one game. And if your your stars have an off night, if your team has an off night, that's it. Ask Purdue. Yeah. Well, see, I was never really high on Purdue. And that was one of the that was probably the if not the big the biggest upset in the history of the tournament. Bigger than um, UMBC? Yeah. No, they they actually said if you were looking at point spreads and and if you want – and I hate to bring back into gambling, but that was actually the biggest upset in the history of the the tournament. Makes sense. I think also because FDU, remember, had a win in a first get into that spot to play Purdue. I think – Oh, yeah, that's right. I was just about to say, didn't FD um, Fairleigh Dickinson like barely get in like by the skin of their teeth? Yeah, they had to play a first four game against Texas Texas Southern to just to get into that spot. If I remember correctly, I believe UMBC did not have to play a first four game that year against Virginia. By the way, also, I don't know how relevant this is, but this is kind of an interesting fact that I got a kick out of. But look at the gyms, the home gyms of Fairleigh Dickinson and Purdue. That gives you an idea as to how big of an upset win FDU had. Yeah, night I, and day. That that's how that's how different their uh, their gyms are. Well, it's funny you say that because there was one, and I'm just, it's eluding my mind here. But we were talking about when Kentucky, I believe, against Kentucky one year, and they were talking about the team that beat Kentucky. I think had one student for every 21,000 students that Kentucky had. No. Which put an upset in perspective too. But yeah, I, I love the schools that have like the small school gyms or like the, your mm-hmm. the gyms that you see like in your high school. I think, you know, the Mac conference is like that. And when I want, I can see their games on the ESPN plus the sports, uh, the sports extra that I have with uh, my cable provider mm-hmm. and the Mac schools. Like when you see like, Marist or Manhattan and you see those old school like high school kind of gyms it, you see those kind of schools have the chance to not only win their conference but then make the tournament and then like I said you know single elimination tournament and you never know we saw that a lot here so yeah well I mean yeah I went to a few games at Iona so I know what I know what those gyms look like sure sure you know, St. John's is like that too, but and then they also play some at Carneseca, but then they also then play some games at the Garden, and I think they'll probably get a few more games at the Garden next season now that they got Rick Pitino. By the way, uh, speaking of Rick Pitino, I do want to point out, after they beat Iona, I think it was Rick Pitino who said that UConn was by far the best team that he had ever seen like all year, and I think he pretty much had high praise for them, saying that nobody was going to end up beating them. Well, I mean, look, say what you want about Rick Pitino's track record, but the guy's no dummy when it comes to talent, that's for sure. No, for sure. And that's why you already hear talk about St. John's being put on possible put on the possibility of making making a deep run. And, you know, it's been a long time coming for the Red Storm. 
but you could be talking about next year three relevant teams at Madison Square that play at Madison Square Garden between the Knicks, the Rangers, and possibly St. John's if uh, the Red Storm can, if Patino could lead uh, St. John's to a, a not only a Big East title but a possible deep run in the, in the tournament next year. And hey, maybe um, hopefully if if Harvey Ayrton is still alive, we can get a sequel of uh, when the Garden was even. <laughs> yeah, for when sure. the Garden of Eden was what it was called. That was about the seventies. Next, really good book, by the way. If you ever want to learn about those uh, great Knicks teams, and I'm actually, I may or may not be in the midst of working on a little retrospective blog about those really good Knicks teams. Best thing to do, folks, is stay tuned. Have your notifications set on social media about that. But just to put a capper on the UConn run here, and. You know, I was talking about how they won five in 24 years, and they held, in that stretch, they also did have a swoon. If you remember correctly, mm-hmm. back in the 2019-2020 season, UConn was still in the American Athletic Conference, and you saw uh, there you saw Hurley that he couldn't hide his frustration in a post-game press conference after they lost to Villanova, blew a late lead in that one. And now three years later uh, – Look where they are. They go from zero tournament wins to the national champion since 2016 and then now to the national championship game. So that's one thing you could look at if you're a St. John's fan is you look at where UConn was and now is again. And, you know, now with the right coach and if you recruit the right guys and you already see St. John's start to turn some of their roster around. And the other thing, too, is you have, you know, the one thing with college sports now, two things really, not only is the NIL, but you have – the transfer portal, which is shit, which has shaken up college sports like never before. St. John's could easily turn this back, turn it around, and be back to being a relevant team. So, a great run though for UConn, a dominant run in this tournament. Which Hank, if you look at this tournament in general, just doing a quick recap, you know we spoke about F with the biggest upset in tournament history, beating number one Purdue out of that East region. I mean, this tournament really had it all. I mean, you had the major upsets of the top teams like Alabama, Houston, Purdue, who couldn't get out of the the first round, you know, Kansas, who couldn't get out of the second round. So really, uh, your your number one teams, I mean, didn't make a deep run at all. You know, you had some major upsets like Furman against Virginia. Remember, Virginia was up by three or four with less than a minute to go. Furman hits a, a two-pointer, and then Virginia tries to run out the clock, and they throw the ball away. Furman upsets them. You, I mean, you really – I mean, look at Princeton, the 15th seed, getting past Arizona and Missouri uh, before losing in the Sweet 16. It really was – I mean, was there one moment to you that really stuck out in this tournament? Uh, I would definitely have to say the upset. I would say the fact that no number one seed made it past, um, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe it was the Sweet 16, no? Not one got out of the Sweet 16, you know. So no one no one made the, the Elite Eight, which was a very rare thing. Yeah, and I mean, look, crazy upsets have happened over the years in the NCAA tournament, but when you have no number one seed making it that far, I think it really just goes to show you that there was a lot of parity in this tournament. And that's pretty much the case every single year when you really watch these uh, NCAA basketball tournaments. And, you know, Johnny, I don't think you and I can really stress this enough. 
it's pretty much a one game single elimination. Anything can happen. I mean, and a lot of times I know how, how cliched that this sounds like I've seen that. Usually there's that one team that'll win nine out of every 10 times, but then they'll like lose in that one time too. Yeah. And all it takes is that one is that one time. So yeah, I mean, no, no number one teams in the elite eight. I mean, I would, I would take it a step further with that. I would say one of the cool things for me was in the final four, it was the first time ever since the seeding that there was no, no top three seed in the final four. And you had three schools, San Diego state, Florida Atlantic and Miami of Florida who never made the final four in their first. So they were in their first final four in pro in, in school history. And obviously UConn, we know has been there plenty of times. So that's the beauty of it. You know, you have these low, these schools that you don't really hear about much having a chance, you know, the mountain West conference guys definitely, um, definitely got some love, you know, Princeton being that 15 seed that was tried, uh, St. Peter's from last season. That's the cool thing. You know, the, 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 I always say the first two days of this, the Thursday and the Friday of the first round, there's nothing like it. Mm-hmm. You know, first games tip off just after 12 Eastern. The last ones don't end, end almost 1 a.m. I mean, it's, you know, 13 hours. You want to talk about, you know, you're talking about your, your football Sundays of seven hours of commercial free football. Well, there are commercials and stuff, but you could flip across four channels and games are going on and there's not much of a break in, in any of them. So uh, I always love that. It's the coolest thing. You know, this, this tournament is the best structured tournament of any of the sports. I mean, I like what college football has done with the, with, you know, the, with the football playoff. I know that's going to expand. That was inevitable. I just hope they keep this tournament at 68. I mean, it doesn't need to go to 90 or 96. I mean, you only have 300 and like, what is it like 53 or so uh, mm-hmm. division one schools. I mean, if you're going to have almost one third of them make the tournament, it's like, why the heck are we even playing a regular season? So I love that. I have just one criticism though of the NCAA tournament. And it's something that I've had to beef with them for the longest time. And you probably know where I'm going to go with this. I'm trying, and I'm not going to try and sound like I'm old or anything. Cause I'll be honest with you folks. I'm 32. I'll be 33 in five months. So I should be up for this, but the, you cannot, this game could it could it have started any later than it did. You're tipping it just after 9.20 p.m. on a Monday night. You know, I, I tweeted this today. I wish that basketball followed the college football rule in moving up their the, – the college football moved up their national championship time by, to 7.30 p.m. And, you know, that was great because by 9, because when you got to halftime, you had Georgia totally run over TCU. That game was not even a game after that. It would have been nice if this game, even if you tip it up to 8 p.m., you know what, then the game ends at 10.30, maybe this game's out of reach at halftime, and you're all right with that. But at nine, to, to not start this game until after 9.20 on a Monday night, when a lot of people have to go to work the next day, is kind of absurd. So yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I mean, as someone who pretty much has to wake up at like 5 or 6 every morning, I would probably agree with you, but... Then again, I also decided I'm – I'm also one of the many that are crazy enough to stay up at this insane o'clock time to watch that. But nonetheless, I would agree with you there, Johnny. Hey, and I know what people are saying. You know, if you're, the Knicks make a deep run, there, you know, you're going to be playing some 8, 9 o'clock games. 
That's true. You know what? I'll take a nap and I will live for that. But you know, a nine a nine twenty tip off. I know we're gonna have nine o'clock NBA finals games. Uh, you know what? If my Knicks make the NBA finals, I'll suck it up and deal with it. But uh I mean, Johnny, the Knicks making it to the finals happens as often as say Haley's Comet. So yeah, you better. So you're saying there's a chance. I've had it I've seen it twice. Actually, well, no, that's not entirely true, but you, you get what I'm coming from. I, I sure do, yeah. So Really, though, I mean, the tournament, I have to say, I mean, it was great because it had a lot of great moments on team that really put one of the most dominant efforts that we've seen of any team in, the, in tournament history together. So you had a little bit of it all and mm-hmm. a great run there by Hurley's squad in uh, UConn and, and and the whole tournament in general was just it was it was a success. And for our friend for Jim Nance, you know, his final uh time behind the mic of the NCAA tournament. I mean, he had a great run too, as he always does. So that'll be a little different next year without Nance being there. I mean, Nance is still going to be there at CBS, but this was his last uh, run at it as well. So it hello, was, it was, yes. Hello. Oh, friend this upcoming weekend with the masters and we will get to the masters in just a little bit. So that puts a wrapper on the NCAA tournament, but not a wrapper for us about basketball because, boy, we have a lot of, of basketball talk to get to, including this big one that broke late overnight last week, Hank. How about the NBA and the NBA issuing, agreeing on a new seven-year CBA? And I got to tell you, I woke up to this news, and I was shocked. I really thought that the way things were going in basketball with – the problems that the sport has been dealing with, with the fact that they kept pushing this date further and further back that I felt like we were on, we were heading down the road towards a lockout. I just, that feeling, we remember what we had with the baseball lot the baseball lockout, how we felt like that was inevitable. I really thought the basketball was inevitable too, but early Saturday morning, they reached the deal on a new seven year deal. So this, this is uh this starts with the 2023-2024 season, and it is expected to be ratified by league governors and players in the coming weeks. So just some elements about this deal. And the NBA is curbing the ability of the highest spending teams like the Warriors and the Clippers to continue running up salary and luxury taxing while still maintaining mechanisms to add talent to the roster. So the league is implementing a second salary cap, $17.5 million over the tax line. And also some other things here, too. Uh, let's see. In recent years, there has been an average of three teams in the highest salary. And they decided not to curb that. Uh, let's see here. In an, in an attempt to curb load management and lost games among star players, they're trying eligibility for postseason awards. Now, this came out before, and I'm like, this is not going to change anything. So... They're talking about such as NBA, all NBA teams, MVP to a mandatory 65 games played. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to get to with this, but what do you think first and foremost before I, I get into a little bit more about this? I think definitely it's a surprise for sure because, like you said, it seemed like the league was definitely going down the road of another lockout, especially with a lot of the load management stuff, but. I think it's definitely interesting to see how this will affect the real big market teams like, say, the Warriors and the Clippers. I know 
one team's been a lot more successful than the other when it comes to spending. But, you know, I think you knew that a rule like this would be out there and really affecting a winning team such as the Golden State Warriors. So should definitely be interesting to see, but I still feel like the Warriors are going to be smart enough to figure out ways around this whole thing because they're such a well-run organization now. Yes, I, I agree with you. And then I would also have to say another thing that's interesting would be the fact that you have the uh, 65 game minimum, which, you know, I think that's pretty reasonable. Like, you know, look, I don't want to say that coaches like should be told when and who to play whatnot, but at the same time, like fans pay money to see players like at their best play a good amount of games. So I, I think that's definitely reasonable. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds great at the merit, but do you think this is going to stop load management? I don't think it is. No, n- no chance. Because let's be no honest. Chance. What is the NBA is a players driven league. So the players are going to say they're going to want the day off. They're going to get it off. They're not going to care about these awards unless, of course, there's extra money. Because what do you what is what do you always say? It's all about the money. Exactly right. That is exactly right. So if these, if there's an incentive into their contracts where they get more money based on MVP or all-star awards, then they'll play. If there's no incentive, then they're going to still take these load management days. I actually think that that rule, that's that thing that's put into this new CBA is not going to change load, load management, load, load management problems. That's what I'm trying to say. I don't think that's going to go away. And that's what I was hoping that, this agreement was going to do and i don't think it changes it one bit yeah no you know these players are going to take their days off whenever they feel like it's necessary but i I, you know we've been through on this road a lot we've talked about this on game on before two extensions of the early opt-out deadline and they finally you know they even agreed to extend the midnight deadline last week for the league to opt out of the final year of the previous CBA. And they finally hammered out a a deal, silver, you know, NBA executive director, Tamika Tremelglio and negotiators on both sides, including the NBA's Dan Ruby and the union's Ron Klemper. They were able to deliver a deal months ahead of a possible work stoppage. And I really thought the way things were going, that we were going to go down this road. I mean, when you extend the deadline as much as you, you did, Usually deadlines get extended because they're they're it's not like they're really close. I guess they were close and it just felt like they weren't. But I still think that you're still gonna have problems here with this NBA going forward. I mean, we've seen, you know, the issues that this this sport's dealing with. I mean, it's a great product, especially if your team's in it, but the whole load management stuff I think has been damaging to the sport. You know, you had said it a few minutes ago, if you're spending top dollar to go to these games and you want to see a star player and that star player decides, Oh, I'm going to take this day off load management. I mean, it's, it's, I'm sorry. It's ridiculous. You know, these, these players are getting paid millions of dollars to go out there and play. And it's just not a good look. You know, it's one thing if you're the catcher in baseball or, you know, Oh, that's right. Hockey doesn't do load management because those guys play, hurt 
or whatnot. And so, and football players don't do load management, even though it's only a 16 or a 17 game season. So, I mean, what other sport do you see this in? I'm sorry, Johnny. I need to one up what you said about hockey, but to the exact extreme. Take a puck to the face, just put a little bandit on it. No problem. You're good. Back to the game. Yep. You, um, Stitch him up. Go to the locker room. Get, get your hit face in the mouth. You lose a few teeth. Uh, no problem. Uh, yep. Kevin, I still will never forget that game. Kevin Klein got hit. He lost like the tip of his ear and he still scored the game winning goal in overtime. And no, I'm not confusing him with the Academy Award winning actor of the same name. <laughs> no, you're, you're right. I mean, what we, we've heard, we've heard stories of what hockey players play through and hockey players don't get enough respect for what they do. I, I've said that, you know, you want to talk about a, a profession that's severely underpaid hockey players are that. Oh yeah. Another thing you get hit by the trooper train. Oh, no problem. It's pretty much ouch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Meanwhile, these guys, you know, baseball players, they take a, they take a, a something to the face six weeks. We'll see you later. Right. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, no, so we will still have basketball. We don't have to worry about this off season. A work stoppage. I mean, of course, you know, they got to finish up some final details, but that'll be happening uh, over the course of time. Well, Hank, some great news. You know, we talk about how great hockey is. Uh, we're going to get to that. But how about our New York Knicks? They are in the playoffs. They won against the, the Wizards last Sunday. That clinched them a spot. Now, this has been – this. it's a great ride so far. You know, it's, it's been a little nerve-wracking the last couple of weeks because of the injury to Julius Randle against the Miami Heat and – I was like, you know, I put it out in our group chat last last week when it happened. I'm like, you know, just when you start to feel really confident about the team, and I got to be honest with you, you know, I'm not an optimistic guy when it comes to the Knicks. I mean, I've been through it all my in all my years rooting for this team, which has now been th- over 30 of my 32-plus years of existence on this earth. And I may not be optimistic, but I'm also realistic too. And I got to tell you, I mean, I'm starting to get very optimistic about them. You know what, Tom Thibodeau, what he's done with this team this year. Remember, there was a lot of Nick fans. There are a lot of people out there, and you know who you are, that wanted this guy fired. And I'm like, you know, you cannot keep changing the coach every two to three years. You know, this is the third year now with Thibodeau. His first year, he took the team to the playoffs, albeit, you know, it was a shorter season, and they did fade down the stretch. I understand that. Last year was an off year. I understand that. But you know what? Sometimes what some of these players need, especially your younger players, like your Barrett's, like your Quickly's, like your Obi Toppins, is they need consistent coaching. You know, we talk about it a lot in football, how, you know, you head coach every year or two. Some guys, some QBs or some players go through their third offensive coordinator or third coach in four years, and, you know, how how is it supposed to work? Well, maybe the exception of that would be Daniel Jones. But mm-hmm. in the NBA, these young guys – I feel like they need the same kind of coaching, and I think it's finally working out. You know, you look at this Knicks team this year. Jalen, first of all, Jalen Brunson coming over has been the best pickup of any team in the offseason. And remember how people were hesitant about that move and how they really wanted a uh, a Donovan Mitchell? And Aren't I you glad we didn't give up the farm for Donovan Mitchell at this point? Absolutely, because you know what? I'll tell you right now, and I'll still go on record of saying this. If Donovan Mitchell was on the Knicks right now, this team would be no different. Because Donovan would have been great, but where is your other production coming from? Because you can't get it from just one person. And you know what? You look at this Knicks team this year, it's not just one person. It's Brunson. It's 
Randall, who has returned to the Randall two years ago, uh, you know, when those guys, when Brunson's had to miss a game or two or Randall's had to miss some time, you've had uh, Emmanuel quickly step up and be great. You've had Grimes. Uh, Barry, uh, Quentin Grimes is the guy. I mean, that's – he's been fantastic. Remember, Grimes was originally rumored to be in one of those trade talks in those trade proposals for a uh, – for like a Donovan Mitchell. And so. let's also not forget about the impact that – getting Josh Hart has had on the Knicks and Johnny correct me if I'm wrong, but I would say this is probably the biggest trade deadline impact for the Knicks in a positive way since I want to say probably Derek Harper in 94. That's not a reach Hank. That really is not. I mean, people are going to say the obvious one would have been Carmelo, but. Uh, Debatable. Very, very debatable. That's what I'm saying. I mean, that, that, a lot of people, that's what you probably would go back to. But, I mean, mm, it is debatable. I would say that um, I would say that Carmelo is Mr. Complicated when it comes to uh, players with uh, legacies with the Knicks now. Yeah, it's, it's tough to say because, you know, he did his part, but you know what you know what Carmelo was though and this is really not a knock is he was a great scorer but that's it yeah he didn't play defense and he also was a chucker too which drove it drove used to drive me nuts whenever I'd see him have the ball he would like go for a three at probably the worst possible time i would he was probably is probably just as bad as Russell Westbrook in that department if not worse. Oh, yeah. And again, this is not a knock, but it's just, it really is what, what, what it is. You know, he was a great scorer, but you know, he never could create his own shot. He was not a great rebounder. He really didn't dish the ball out that well. And on nights when Carmelo Anthony was your leading rebounder, that just goes to show you what the team was. And that wasn't a good defensive team. So has definitely made a very significant impact on this team for sure. Mm -hmm. And you know Barrett, who has had kind of a down year, has had a great last couple of weeks. I I feel, and if you get him going right, and this team is firing at all cylinders into the playoffs, it's not a reach to say the Knicks could win a round. Now, of course, it's going to be where where they're going to be positioned at the end of the day. I mean, right now, as of uh, Wednesday, as of Tuesday, they were two and a, they were three games behind Cleveland for the four spot, and they were two and a half games two in the loss column up on the Brooklyn Nets. The all-important loss column, we should say. Yeah, absolutely. John Sterling always says. that. That's right. But, so, uh, yeah, yeah no, I, I could see the Knicks definitely winning a playoff series. I mean, if you really look at how they've progressed over the course of the year, they've definitely gotten better in the close games. For sure. And yeah, like you said, I think you pretty much nailed it on the head. Tom Thibodeau has probably been one of the best coaches they could have had to help out with this young core. And no matter what happens going forward with the Knicks in the playoffs, the culture is pretty much changing and you have to love it. And I can't wait until some superstar help can come on in and help complement this team that already is pretty solid, but now you just have that one superstar to eventually put them on over the top. 
that'll be something. I mean, the city has pretty much been hungry for a Knicks championship. I mean, it's only been 50 years since they last won. I know, as I said, I'm kind of in the process of writing a little retrospective about those teams from 50 years ago. But I mean, when you have people thinking of the nineties as the good old days, and that was a decade where the Knicks came so close, but yet so far, I think that really tells you the state of where they're in. And I'd also like to think that hopefully uh, Mr. Dolan doesn't, you know, stick his hands into the cookie jar this time around. I mean, we've seen what he's done in the past, but maybe this is wishful thinking, but I actually think he just might only because by this point, he knows that his reputation isn't really great. And I mean, look, it's why he's pretty much been wanting the Rangers to, you know, reach for the top at this point. Well, yeah, I mean, you when you look at him with the Rangers, you know, he stays away from the Rangers. And, and But, it, you know, you haven't really heard about him with the Knicks this year. You know, he's mm-hmm. let the guys do what they need to do. And, again, and I took a lot of heat for this, but the fact the Knicks didn't go out there and make that big-time trade, I think he's actually helped the team. Yeah. I'd like to have another star on this team. Absolutely, it would, it would definitely help, but I'm not trading the, the the assets that we have right now. Remember, the Knicks have several first-round picks still uh, in the coming years, so they de- they still have the draft capital. They wanted to go out there and make a move, and I was for the picks. If you wanted to get a Donovan Mitchell for picks, I was for that, but it was clear that Danny Ainge there in Utah did not want to do that. I mean, you saw what how much uh, – Cleveland gave up for Mitchell. Now, that team fits him better than the Knicks do. So, I mean, the players they still had around him work. But if you would have traded the likes of Grimes, like uh, Quickly or Toppin and a Barrett, I mean, the Knicks would not be 46 and 33. And I don't think they'd be, I don't think they'd be a 50 win team right now. Hank, the one thing I was, I, I was looking this up too. Here's a, here's a very interesting stat for the Knicks. And this is why I think. You know, if you go into the playoffs, hopefully you can win a round a year. Do you know the Knicks have played 14 games this year that have been decided by three points or less? Do you know what their record is in that? Um, can I take a guess? Go for it. I want to say it's like 10 and 4 or something. It's exactly 10 and 4. Oh, game show reference. Wow. Ding, ding, ding. Yes. I. I feel like if, if we're playing price bonus. Right, I, if we're playing prices right, do I get the five hundred dollars? That's exactly right. That's what I said. Give him the five hundred dollar <laughs> bonus. But yeah, I mean it's all seriousness though. That's huge. You're playing usually what comes down to the playoffs. If you come if you play close games in the postseason, I mean mm-hmm. that that's incredible. You look at all the other teams in the uh in the Eastern Conference that are above the Knicks, Milwaukee's six and one. Boston is five and seven. Now this is a Celtics team that's thirty games over five hundred, and they are under five hundred in games decided by three points or less. The seventy six is responsible for a few of those losses. Could mm-hmm. it be the Knicks? Yep. Seventy six. I just wanted to point that out. That's yay. Seventy sixers are nine and five, but you know the Sixers have always had problems in the playoffs, and the Cle- and the Cleveland Cavaliers, who are above the Knicks, are five and eight in games decided by three points or less. That gives me a lot of hope, actually. Because when teams play a lot of close games, it means they pretty much know know how to finish and get it done when it matters the most. 
that's why I got to tell you, if Randall can come back here, and I know they've played pretty well without him, and I have to tell you, I was very nervous when he got hurt. Mm-hmm. But if he comes back, I think right now, I mean, you have to feel pretty confident if you're the Knicks here. That they can – and the thing is, too, here – so right now, if, if the playoffs were to start, here's what we're looking at. We're looking at the Bucks versus a play-in winner, the Celtics versus the play-in winner. It would be 76ers, Nets, and Cavs, Knicks. I'll tell you right now, Knicks can beat the Cavaliers in a series. Now, I would love to have Randall back and healthy and stuff, but that Knicks team can play, can play against the Cavs. We beat them in Cleveland without him. Who's to say it can't happen again in the playoffs? Yeah. I, I, I know the Cavs have home court advantage right now, and that's the thing to watch here in these next in these uh, final few games of the season. Well, there's only, it's only three games left, so they would have to win out, and Cleveland would have to lose out to get that four spot. So right now, essentially, it's really – looking like it's going to mix unless there's something crazy that happens in these final few days. But the Knicks could definitely, you know, play the Cavs tough. I don't think they, I don't think they they would do well against Milwaukee. I don't think they would do, I mean, you know, they played Boston. Well, I think, I think that'd be tough. And the Sixers are such a wild card. I mean, I think that the Cavs are probably their best shot right now. And to me, Hank, I mean, you look at this team, it's been a nice season, but now you want to go to what would be a successful year. And I know we'll get into this probably when we get into the playoff talk, most likely next week. To me, the Knicks have to win a round. Because, you know, two years ago, that shortened season, which was a nice little surprise. Remember, they faded down the stretch here, mm-hmm. and Trey Young just destroyed the Knicks in the, in the series against the Hawks. So, to me, I think you've got to get a round here. For this to be really, if you, you know you went around and you bow out against you know the Milwaukee's, the Celtics or the 76ers of the world, you know what? That's understandable because those teams are really really good. But it be especially if you're going to lose to a Donovan Mitchell team, who, who you were it seemed like you were close to getting, and ended and Danny Ainge just didn't really want to make the deal with you, then. That would be a bummer. Yeah, I definitely would agree. I think while it's great that they're definitely in the playoffs, I think you want that playoff series, especially because you want this core to get that taste of what it's like. And then once they have that superstar join them, then you have that experience under your belt. It's, you know, in in a sense, it's kind of like the Rangers in uh, 2022. Yeah, no, you're right. So just to... Also put this in playing tournament bracket in the East. You have right now it's the Heat and Hawks in the seven eight, Raptors and Bulls in the nine ten, and la- the the regular season for the NBA ends on Sunday the ninth. The playing tournament will begin on Tuesday the eleventh. The first round of the playoffs start four days later on Saturday April the fifteenth. So next week when we are here we will know where the Knicks are going to be fitted at it looks like in all likelihood this the, the 3-6 and the 4-5 are all set it's just going to be where the Bucks and the Celtics um, who they're going to end up with I mean I guess there also is that outside shot that the Celtics could leapfrog this the 
the Bucks one seed, but that's what it's looking like. And it's then in the in the West, real quick, we'll just keep it here on the NBA for just a second. Uh, Denver one, Memphis two. Now with John Morant back. Uh, Memphis still the two. Sacramento, you know, that was – I wanted to bring this up a couple of weeks ago before we had to scrap our show. The Kings may be the best story in the NBA this year. You know, they had been – they had one of the longest droughts not only in the NBA but in sports. And the now longest. 47 – what's that? I'm sorry, the longest. Yeah, it was, it was right? Yeah, so 47 and 31. Um, they are four games above the – Suns. Now the Suns are an interesting story here at the four spot because now Durant's back. If Durant stays healthy and you have him and Booker there, then maybe the Suns make a deep run. The Clippers are five. Golden State, for as much trouble as they've had this year, are the six. And then the Lakers, Pelicans, Timberwolves, and the Thunder right now would be your teams in the playing tournament out west. And then right now, and you know, one of the other storylines, the Mavericks right now on the outside looking in, they're a game behind Oklahoma City in the 10 spot. Utah, Portland, San Antonio, and Houston rounding it out. But how about, you know, I love the King story. And I feel bad for Luka Doncic, but I but that org- the, the Dallas Mavericks, you know, you knew what kind of baggage you were getting making that trade for Kyrie Irving. And the, look, I don't consider the Nets a, pri- a rival, but I'm actually happy for the Nets because they got rid of that baggage in, in Kyrie. They got rid of the baggage with Durant. Jock Vaughn got put in there after the whole Steve Nash incident seven games into the season. And you look at the Brooklyn Nets right now, the Nets are in the playoffs, and the Mavericks right now are not. Isn't that amazing, Susan? Absolutely. You know, he won't get the votes probably because he took over, but – Jock Vaughn should be coach of the year. Yeah, I I would say all things considered, given all the drama he faced and the fact that he's still somehow leading the Nets into the playoffs, he definitely deserves consideration for sure. Well, I mean, look at look at look what they got back for Durant. They got Bridges, Mikael Bridges back, who's been excellent for them. Uh, mm-hmm. They've had some guys like Cam Thomas step in, and in the first couple of his games, he was scoring forty points a night. So. Yeah, there may not be any stars, but you've got some very good players there on Brooklyn's side, too. And, you know, a team that's going to be going through some transitioning here. It's it's a pretty cool story. You know, Jock Vaughn's been down this road before. You know, he's taken teams before to some nice runs. I just, you know, the one thing I would watch here at, as we uh, wrap up the season, and again, we don't know if there's a chance the Lakers may be able to get out of the – they not need to play in that uh, playing tournament. You know, there's only they're only a mm-hmm. half game behind the – Warriors is going to be fun here. You, so five through eight, you've got the Clippers and the Warriors at 41 and 38. You've got the Lakers and the Pelicans at 40 and 38. And the Lakers might be a very interesting thing now because, you know, LeBron's back. Anthony Davis is back. Could it be possibly find a way that the Lakers, you know, get on a run here and maybe surprise a couple of teams? That would be interesting, and I think it would definitely help to elevate the legacy of LeBron James, and I can already see the smoke coming out of Nick's ears if he's hearing me say that about LeBron. <laughs> yeah, don't don't worry. You know, I'm, you, you know I'm not the biggest of LeBron fans either, but I'll also give credit where credit is due. He's doing a solid job keeping the Lakers into relevance. Well, just think about this here. If the Lakers get leapfrog the Warriors – 
and don't have to play in that playing tournament and they end up as the sixth seed, they'd play the Kings in the, in the, in the first round. The Nuggets would play the eight. The Grizzlies would play the seven. It would be Kings, Lakers, and then possibly Suns, Clippers. And then the Warriors would have to play the playing tournament against right now the Pelicans. Tell you what, that's a very, very crazy story right here. I mean, you know, the Warriors who have had a lot of problems this year on the road, that's been well documented this year. It'd be something to watch, you know, you talk about how how so Johnny, how bad are the Warriors on the road? So let's do a match game reference. The Warriors are so bad on the road. How, how bad, bad are, are they? they? Nine and thirty. Wow. That's that's uh that's pathetic. That's to, bad to say the least. <laughs> In fact, the only other teams that have fewer road wins are the three worst teams. In the league, the Pistons, the Spurs, and the Rockets. I'm sorry, the Warriors what? also have one of the best. Yep, well, that's because they also have one of the best home records, though the, the Warriors at the same time, 32 and eight. But I'll tell you what, that West, the last couple of days, I'm also going to be glued into because you have the possibility of the Lakers and the Pelicans getting out, and maybe not in the play the playing tournament. Any sort of combination there is possible. So, you know. Basketball, got to tell you, it's in good hand. It's actually in pretty decent hands right now. Now they've got a CBA, so we don't have to worry about a lockout. They've got the Knicks in the playoffs, which is okay. It's great for us, and it's great for the NBA. And you've got an, a very fascinating race out west. A, a, con, a you know a league now that the the conferences have reversed themselves. The East is the deep one. The West is not. We've had several years. Years where under 500, you're you're a lock to be in the playoffs in the East. Now it's not. Now it's not that. Now you've got, you know, the seventh seed is over 500 in the NBA. Now it's only and the eight and the nine are 500. But it used to be five, ten games under 500. You still could get in. You may not win much in the playoffs, but you'd still get in. So we'll watch here what happens as we. Come down the stretch again. When we're here next week, we will have our playoff picture set. We'll have the one through eight, one through six set. We'll see what the playing uh, matchup will be. We'll get, we'll dive a lot more into that next week. Well, Hank, another big basketball story that broke this week was the class of 2023. Who's going to be headlining the Naismith Hall of Fame class for 2023? And some notable names that are going to be enshrined this summer. Dirk Nowitzki, Dwayne Wade, Pau Gasol, Tony Parker, Greg Popovich, among many. You know, these are names that we all know about uh, as as the headliners of the 2023 class. They will be enshrined on August and 12th at ceremonies in Connecticut and Massachusetts. So, you know, obviously we know about these guys. I mean, we know what uh, – Dwayne Wade was 13-time All-Star, three-time NBA champion, 2006 NBA Finals MVP. Uh, You know, Greg Popovich, what he did with the Spurs there, Tony Parker with the Spurs, Dirk Nowitzki in Dallas, Pau Gasol amongst multiple teams. Becky Hammond, who I still believe one day will be one of the first, if not the first female coach, not even maybe if not assistant head coach there in the NBA. She was with uh, the Spurs for a while, though. She was with the Spurs as an assistant. Yes, absolutely. And I know she not started to... with um, well, 
no pun intended, but the Silver Stars hmm? in San Antonio. Yep. Um. Yeah, no, this class, like, it really hits me in the field. Because I know we had another big one a couple years ago, but to have Dirk, Tony Parker, Pau Gasol, guys who I remember very vividly watching over the course of their careers and to see them in the hall of fame, that's pretty cool. They all had some very big games. I know Tony Parker, I would say was definitely probably just as much of an important finger. I'm not going to say more important of a player than Tim Duncan on those Spurs teams, but he became a very solid complimentary star for uh, Tim Duncan during those years. And there were some years where he ended up having better series than uh, Tim Duncan too. And he ended up, I believe it was in 07 that he ended up winning the NBA Finals MVP. Dirk Nowitzki pretty much was a big reason that the Mavericks were relevant. And he, funny, I I would say one of his bigger moments was leading the Mavericks to that upset road win over the Spurs in 2006. And ultimately in the process, that actually prevented the Spurs from uh, three-peating. It's crazy to think how the Spurs have been so dominant during all those years, but they never even repeated as champions. Um, Yeah. Dwayne Wade, amazing player, definitely a big fan of his. And I, I sometimes like to joke that I'm a distant relative of his because his last name is actually my mom's maiden name. Fun fact, but (laughs) nonetheless, he is still one of my all time favorite NBA players. I'll never forget his performance during the 2006 NBA finals against the Dallas Mavericks. I mean, he was only like what 23, 24. I mean, you did have Shaq on that team, but like Shaq wasn't the one that was really leading that team. I think that was right around the time he was getting past his prime. And that was real. That was essentially D Wade's team. And even during the big three years, there was that one year where Dwayne Wade actually outperformed LeBron James. I want to say that was in 2011. And if it wasn't for Derek Rose, single, pretty much single-handedly leading that Bulls team to 62, I think, I think Dwayne Wade wins the MVP in 2011. Yeah, that, that's all fair. And um, as far as a, uh, as Pau Gasol goes, I would say he was probably the missing piece to get Kobe that first championship post Shaq for sure. And uh, I know Kobe really enjoyed having him as like the Scottie Pippen to his Michael Jer- Jordan during those. I want to say the later the later post Shaq years with the Lakers, he was definitely a big part of those championship teams and. He got his number retired, and that was such an emotional speech that he made, too, during that number retirement. I mean, for him to have his number like he always wanted being next to Kobe, I mean, I'm definitely getting the chills as I say this, knowing that, like, Kobe not only didn't live to see his Hall of Fame induction, but also won't be there to support his good buddy and teammate, Pau Gasol. But nevertheless, I think that trade was definitely the turning point in the Lakers winning their Last two championships, if unless you want to count the bubble in 2020, I don't, I don't want to touch that little debate. But you, you get where I'm coming from. And last but not least, I saved Coach Greg Popovich for last. I mean, he's still with the Spurs at this point, and I know, unfortunately, the Spurs are now pretty much a far cry from what they were during their glory years, but. Johnny, this might be a bit of a hot take, but I always was one of those people that would put Greg Popovich ahead of Phil Jackson 
when it came to the greatest NBA coaches of all time. Now, is he the greatest coach of all time? I don't know, but historically the Spurs really weren't a winning franchise unless we're talking about the ABA teams and really they weren't relevant until the Admiral came aboard. And then once they had Greg Popovich and then Tim Duncan coming along, the Spurs in a sense reminded me of the Patriots in the sense that you pretty much had stability with the same superstar and the same coach. And for so many years, they were always pretty much in the mix to be winning a title and Hey, 20 years of greatness. That's pretty remarkable what they did. So no doubt all these players are very much worthy of their Paul fame inductions, including coach Popovich. Yeah. I, and just looking at the list here for the hall of fame, you had five play five guys get in on their first ballot, which is something that's very, very rare. You know, Tony Parker, Nowitzki, Gasol, Popovich, Wade, all got in first ballot. That's almost unheard of in any Hall of Fame. You have five guys getting on the first ballot. That's uh, five guys going back to the basketball team. Yeah. So, so the the thing you were talking about with Popovich, I mean, you can't argue the success that he's had because you know the one word, and I think you might have mentioned this, is consistency. Yeah. So Popovich took over head coach in the 96-97 season. Good Lord, I was in diapers when he coached his first game at the Spurs. But let me – so 96-97, I think he took over during that year. I don't think he had the full year. He's 64 games. So I'm, I'm thinking – he was an assistant coach with, this, with San Antonio, and then he was also an assistant with Golden State before he went back to San Antonio. But mm-hmm. he had – he started off bad, 17-47, but – Every year since then, I mean, you're talking about at least 50 wins from 1997-98 to 2016-2017. So 20 years, pretty much, of consistency. You know, they had the shortened year in 98-99, but that was the year they did beat our Knicks to win the NBA championship, which was a bummer, but at that time, that was a magical Knicks team, but... Let me not get into that. But, I mean, champion in 98-99, champion in 03, champion in 05, champion in 07, uh, Western Conference champion in in 2012-2013, and won the championship in 13-14. But, I mean, there are years he's won 56, 53, 58, 58, 60, 57, 59, 63, 58, 56, 54, 50, 61, 50 in a shortened year. 58, 62, 55, 67, 61. I mean, if that's not consistency, I don't know what is. We'll never, Hank, we'll never see that again. What the Spurs and what the Patriots have done in their respective sports for as long as they did, that'll never be matched again. Yeah, it's why with time and the older you get and the longer you watch them, you really can't help but appreciate the success that they had, even if you weren't necessarily a fan of them. I mean, I certainly respected the Spurs more so than the Patriots, but that's a story for another day. They were definitely enjoyable teams to watch. 
Yeah, and that's and the Spurs. I mean, if you want to make a comparison, though, the Spurs had tougher competition than the Patriots did. Oh my gosh! Like they were the team that ended the Shaq and Kobe three peat. They, yep. I mentioned Dirk Nowitzki winning that epic Game Seven on the road in two thousand six. That pretty much prevented the Spurs. That was like the one thing that prevented the Spurs from uh, three peating. I mean, the. Uh, and you could also argue that another way that they were thwarted from a three-peat was uh, losing to the young Thunder team that had Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook in 2012. And then a year later, it took an, a monster performance from LeBron James in game six. And of course, that epic three-point shot from Ray Allen to pretty much prevent the Spurs from going back-to-back. So, yeah. I mean, I'm just trying to think. The only other coach that I could see, and I'll, and I'll tell you right now, I mean, without even looking up his numbers, they're not like Popovich's numbers. I mean, the only other guy I could think of right now would be Kerr. Yeah. And, you know, I'm just looking up his – I'm trying to find his coaching numbers. But, you know, he's had off years. Yes, yeah, Steve Kerr's off years, though, I feel like were more because of the injuries to Steph and Clay. That's true. And that and that year, by the way, that the uh, the Spurs tanked, that turned out to be the best thing that could have happened because it led to them getting uh, Tim Duncan. And we all remember it looked like he was going to Boston. Yeah, thank goodness for us Knicks fans that did not happen. I mean, just looking at, at Kerr since he – became coach of the the Warriors in 2014-2015. 67, 73, 67, 58, 57, 15, 39, 53. And then this year, 41 with really a Warriors team that's been struggling all year. And yet he still got them to a five, at least a five, at worst a 500 record. So, I mean, he's had, you know, he's had a 67, 73, 67 kind of year. But, you know, he's also had a 15-year, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, but right now, I mean, so he's got 470 wins. And we were talking about Popovich, who's the winningest coach in NBA history right now. Popovich has 1,364 regular season wins. Kerr's got 470. Mm-hmm. Could probably be the only one right now, but yeah. So Popovich, though the winningest coach and the consistency, you know, second to none, probably never be matched again. But yes, so Popovich, you know, Becky Hammond, who a six-time WNBA All-Star, member of the WNBA's 25th anniversary team, 22 Women's Basketball Hall of Fame member. She she's she's there. Tony Parker, we know about. Paul Gasol, you mentioned Dwayne Wade, uh, Nowitzki, just some other other ones also that are here. Gene Keedy, who's a seven-time Big Ten Coach of the Year, seventeen NCAA tournament appearances. She was on Liberty Gene, too, right? Was that she was on Liberty too, right? Oh, Becky, Becky Hammond? Hammond. Yes. I. Did she ever make it at the end of her career? I'm just. Yes, she was a Liberty. I had to make. Fact check myself just I to make sure she was because yeah. I remember because I'm pretty sure she was one of the stars for the for the New York Liberty if I remember correctly. 
Did, yeah, was she no, with Liberty exactly. before she went to San Antonio? Yes, she was okay. with Liberty from 1999 to 2006, and she's actually in, a member of their uh, Ring of Honor. That's right, because she went. That you know what? Now I remember. Right, she was there before she went to San Antonio, and when she left, there actually was a lot of talk about that here because the Liberty, when the WNBA first started, were really good. You know, her, Teresa Weatherspoon. I don't know why I remember that. I guess I was a young kid. I just remember all that stuff. You know, I I love basketball, and I still do. But I mean, as a little kid, I loved it all. So um, back in the good old you know, days, when they were at Madison Square Garden. Yeah, I know. That's a whole nother. That's a whole nother argument. If you want me to get wild, riled up about that. I mean, look, WNBA, though, is going to be relevant because, I mean, they just came off a very good year. Women's women's basketball has definitely taken some great strides here these last couple of years. You know, they're having a longer season next year. We were actually talking about it a lot when I was filling in on Empty the Bench a couple of times, stuff off the court. But women's basketball is in great shape. You know, they just had an – we didn't even talk about it in the open about – you know, we were talking about the NCAA tournament, and they had a crazy tournament themselves uh, between, you know, the, the South Carolina Gamecocks who had won 42 straight, get knocked down in the final four, which just seems to be a total curse for undefeated women's teams in the final four. Uh, you know, Caitlin Clark, who the performance that she had put on was historic and she's only a junior. So she comes back next year. Um, so yeah, the women, the women's game going into the pros is all is in great shape. So WNBA is an also is also in great shape. So, you know, you're talking about with Becky Hammond and stuff. They're 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 in good hands. So, uh, yeah, no, I mean that, that, those um, those speeches and those ceremonies on August 11th in Connecticut and August 12th in Springfield, Massachusetts, are going to be a must watch for sure. Because you know we grew up with these with these people. That's the thing, Hank. You know, I'm 32. You know, I grew up watching the Popovich days. You know, Tony Parker, Dirk Nowitzki, stuff like that. So all these players, a lot of these players that went in, you know, I grew up watching. And then, of course, you know, one of the other players who got who who was getting in uh, posthumously is Jim Valvano, who was an NBA champion, NCAA champion, I should say, in 83, broadcaster. And we all know about him, creator of the, v, of the Jimmy V Foundation for Cancer Research. Uh, we all know speech. about the yeah, that speech we know we we've seen numerous the, times. The three things that a man must do every day to feel fulfilled: laugh. It was one should laugh. Number two, bring yourself to tears, and then think. Laugh, yeah. cry, and think. Uh, definitely, absolutely. So we will look forward to those speeches and ceremonies in the middle of August. Hank, basketball's coming down the stretch, and you know what else is coming down the stretch? It's hockey season. Oh yeah. It's the penultimate week of the NHL's regular season with still some um, interesting storylines. Now, we know the Rangers are in, so it's going to be a very, very busy MSG. But we come down the stretch here, and what what are we looking at here with a little over a week or two to go? Well, right now, we're still pretty much in the process of trying to figure out who's going to be playing who. And... The division that the Rangers are in right now, it's actually a lot closer than we anticipated. And the Rangers technically still have an outside shot at finishing in first. I'm sure I thought before the season that they were probably going to be in first in the Metro. I know Brian Attard definitely 
thought the same thing. If you go back and watch that preseason episode of uh, Blue Truth, but I don't know that they're going to catch Carolina, much less uh, New Jersey. But if the season were to end today, the Rangers would be playing the Devils in the first round. And I'm going to be honest, I do think the Rangers can win that series, but that matchup scares me a lot. The Devils have so many similarities to the Rangers when it comes to like their offensive game. I mean, they really use speed to their advantage. And this is really the year that Jack Hughes has established himself as pretty much a star. And of course he also has other good pieces around him, like Nico Heashier, Dawson Mercer and uh, Jesper Bratt to name a few. And then, to compliment those guys, they added Timo Meyer from the deadline for the San Jose Sharks. And I thought the Devils absolutely I well, I shouldn't really say they won that trade just yet because it really depends on what happens to Meyer when he becomes a free agent, but if the Devils can lock up Timo Meyer, that's definitely a big win for them and I definitely think they're going to be a formidable opponent for the Rangers going into the first round, but I think that would pretty much be a good segue into this. You know, you look at the Eastern Conference. Five teams have 100 points. And fun fact, this was actually the first time the Devils had 100 points since, uh, I believe, 2011, 2012, which we won't talk about that Eastern Conference series. That still gives me PTSD to this day. But um, (laughs) the Lightning actually aren't that far off either from 100 points. They're, They're currently at 96, but I think they'll probably reach that plateau and look are the lightning as good of a team this year as they've been during the years where they've made it to and won the cup finals i would say probably not but at the same time you still have the core of steven stamkos nikita kucherov um andre vasilevsky and of course victor hedman to name a few so they are definitely going to be a tough out and you know that as talented as the Leafs are, and while I loved how they improved their roster, you know there's going to be the question of, oh, can they get past the first round? Are they going to even be able to win a playoff series? So until that monkey gets off their back, then it's really hard for me to like put the Leafs in that conversation just because of how often they have failed in that department. But should they get past the Tampa Bay Lightning? then we could talk about things getting very interesting. And the Carolina Hurricanes are definitely up there. That's one team that I neglected to mention in the Metropolitan Division. They're currently sitting at 107 points, but they they do have a lot of question marks and they do have some serious cracks on their roster. I believe it was Andrei Svechnikov who tore his ACL. He is now out for the season and... They really, unlike the Rangers and the Devils, they really didn't do that. And even the Bruins, to a certain degree, they really didn't do much to improve their roster during the trade deadline. So they're the team that I'm not quite as high on compared to, say, the Rangers and the Devils. And obviously, I have to put the Bruins in that category. And yeah, let's talk about the Bruins. So 125 points. They are only a few wins away from the record for most wins in a regular season. 
you may remember that the team that has that record was the 2019 Tampa Bay Lightning. But what happened to that Lightning team, you may ask? Oh, they didn't even win a single playoff game. So it's why I feel like as great as the Bruins have been, and I'm willing to like recognize that they probably are the team to beat. I think you also have to be careful because while they really went all in for that push, they also have an older core like Bergeron is getting up there in years. I believe he's probably going to be retiring after the season. You still have, you still have uh, Brad Marchand who you I've said this before about him. He's a dirty player, but I, if he were a Ranger, I probably would have loved him, but Sean Avery, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. And he's got, the I mean, talent. the annoying bit that the guy you would love to have on your team and, and he's incredibly but... talented too. And, you know, I haven't even gotten to the wild card teams in the Eastern Conference. So the wild, I mentioned the six teams that are really power, powerful. Then the wild card, you kind of have a bit of a cluster F. Buffalo, <laughs> well, okay, cluster fuck. I don't need to censor myself. <laughs> Buffalo looked like they had a little hope, but then they've kind of fallen off. They've had, they have 81 points. And while technically they're not mathematically out of it. It's going to be hard to make up all those points with uh, seven games left, but they do have the games at hand, so that could help them. But games at hand don't really mean anything unless you actually take advantage of and win those games at hand. So you know where I stand there. Ottawa was another team that I thought probably could have made noise. And while they did have a better second half, I don't know that they're going to be in the playoffs either. But then you have the Panthers, the Penguins, and the Islanders fighting for that wild card spot. The Islanders definitely... They definitely have been better since the acquisition of Bo Horvat, although they did lose a few games lately. I think the Islanders are an interesting story because they do have Vezina candidate Ilya Sorokin in goal and definitely watch out for them if they play either the Bruins or the Hurricanes. I, I would, I think they would have a better shot at beating the Hurricanes, but it, Look, before you laugh at me for saying that the Islanders have a chance to possibly win a first round, just know that a hot goalie can really be the difference in a series. Now, does that mean I think the Islanders are going to make a deep run? No. I just wanted to play a little bit of devil's advocate, and I don't mean devil that plays in a horrible arena in downtown Newark, but you, you get where I was going there. And the Penguins are pretty much in that last spot. They're fighting with Florida, and while Florida – you know, they did get better during the season. Pittsburgh's probably going to end up there, but I have to tell you, this is definitely one of the weaker Penguins teams that we've seen in a while. They, they're kind of in red, the territory of where the Red Wings were in the mid-2010s, where they were just, like, fighting to get into the playoffs only to keep their streak alive. And I think by the time Sidney Crosby retires and by the time Evgeny Malkin leaves as well that's probably when they're going to finally start to rebuild although frankly that team probably should have started rebuilding a while ago and it, you could ask my buddy Noah Dibler who's a big Penguins fan he'll he'll tell you the same thing and let's move over to the Western Conference and the reason I didn't really focus much on them compared to the Eastern Conference is because the Eastern Conference is pretty loaded if we're being quite honest I mean you have the Golden Knights who have the best record there with 103, but that's miles away from where the Bruins are. But here's the crazy part. They would they have more points than 
the only two teams in the Eastern Conference that I mentioned that they have more points than are, or at least that are the really powerful ones, are the uh, Rangers, and that's only by two, and the Maple Leafs, and even the Lightning, although I think those teams have kind of been chasing themselves. So really will be interesting to see how they do. And this is going to be interesting to see how Vegas does now that Jack Eichel's finally going to be in the playoffs for the first time. And then you've got Edmonton with Connor McDavid having a 60 goal season, by the way, let me give you a fun fact. McDavid's actually one of only four player active players to have a 60 plus goal season. Johnny, let's see if you know who the others are. Oh, no, it's my turn to play games with trivia. So wait, we're looking for current players, players that have 60 plus goals in a season. So current active players. Yes. That have had a 60 goal season. Ovechkin. Yes. That, I'm shocked that you went with him first. Let's see. Ovechkin. Crosby have a 60 goaler? Believe it or not, no. No, I see. I don't. He never was really a, a dominant. I mean, I, I mean, 50 is dominant, but. Ooh. I'll give you a hint. Think of one of the core players on the Lightning. Oh, uh, Stamkos. Yep. And this... my other my other lifeline, please. Uh, the other one was he got it last year with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Oh, um, Matthews. Yep. Well, okay. To quote uh, Mr. Feeney, well done, Mr. Matthews. Oh, thank you. <laughs> if you remember uh, Boy Meets World. Absolutely. Yes, for sure. I like this little game show uh, stuff that we're doing. And then yeah, hey, you listen, got games the, sports, no. Yeah, the Western Conference, I feel like, is wide open. Dallas, Minnesota, and then, of course, you have Colorado, who I think is definitely better than the 96 points. I mean, after all, they were without some of their star players. But this is the defending Stanley Cup champions that we're talking about. And yeah. I also think they upgraded a goalie. I mean, listen, as a Ranger fan, I know Alexander Georgiev is not not too bad of a starter right there. So see how they go in trying to defend their title. But I definitely think they could make noise. And then Seattle Kraken have definitely been interesting. I think Matty Beniers has definitely been a great rookie sensation for them. Be interesting to see how they build off of their uh, first ever playoff year. So really pretty much what the this last week and a half for is just like determining who plays who in the playoffs. Yeah, and then and as far as the um and before we end this, let me uh, talk a little bit about our Rangers. So they've got a pretty interesting schedule coming up. We got a big game tonight at the Garden. I will be there as of this recording. We are playing the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning, a little rematch of sorts from uh, last year. Now, could the Rangers um, end up playing in in the conference finals? That's not quite out of the realm of possibility. I think someone would really have to upset the Boston Bruins for that to happen. And obviously we'd have to get through the gauntlet of our division rivals, but would not surprise me in the least. And then it's the first of the back-to-back because then they have to travel to St. Louis. Although I would imagine Halak at the start there. And then they have that road game against Columbus and they finish out the home stretch with Buffalo and Toronto before they uh, get to the playoffs. So you pretty much know me. I'm like at the point where I am anxious for the playoffs to start. No, and also big news was Ryan McDonough definitely Ryan or not Ryan McDonough. I'm sorry. 
Ryan Lindgren. I'm getting my Ryans and my defensemen confused, but <laughs> Ryan Lindgren will be back tomorrow. He had just returned from a shoulder injury. He actually came back against uh, the Hurricanes, but then he ended up getting hurt again. And so the Rangers decided for precautionary reasons to rest him up. And I think this probably could be a good thing that he's returning, but my one concern is, you know, let's just hope he doesn't do anything to re-aggravate that shoulder. And also you want him to be more healthy come playoff time because he is definitely one of the more valuable players on their defensive core. Yeah. Bubble wrap him. That, as you said, bubble wrap. And now as far as the playoffs goes, you know, this is when you got to hold your breath. It's one of the most um, anxiety inducing times of the season. I mean, look, I'm surprised this head of hair hasn't seen any grays yet, but you know, it's only a matter of time before that happens. Hey, two weeks, right? So the end of the regular season's on Friday, the 14th. The and you can be first- sure that I will be filming playoff content at Madison square garden. I, I would bet my house on it, that that's going to happen. Hint, hint, wink, wink. Yeah. So I was going to say, so check out our social media accounts at Facebook and Twitter, game on ETB, Instagram, game on underscore ETB, where you may, where Hank will be at the garden and, who knows where else uh, for the Rangers. And in the coming week or so, we might have some more news to share with you uh, regarding that. But yeah, just to close up the hockey thing for me real quick, Hank, I know we're going to get into the playoff picture once it comes up as the hockey playoffs start on the 17th. But the thing that I, I, there's a couple of things that fascinate me. Number one, the Bruins. I mean, obviously, you know, as of now, 125 points. You know, who, what's the, what team do I think can give them a, to the toughest time in the playoffs. I'm looking at it right now and I'm thinking it's going to be the Toronto or Tampa. You know, Tampa has been through this before. The Bruins are going to have a tremendous amount of pressure on them when the playoffs start. And you said it, you know, this is, this might be a very short window for, for Boston to do something because they got a lot of uh, free agents and aging veterans on that team. So they, this is really an all in sort of squad for them this year. And it's funny because right now the way the playoff picture is shaped up, They'd be taking the, on the Penguins, who are also in that same predicament. You know, riding it back, going going for it one more time with their veterans. Yeah, I don't think the Penguins stand a chance at hell of beating the Bruins. And I don't think Tampa. I know. I agree. I don't think it's Pittsburgh. I think Pasternak team- has been another player I neglected to mention. Like fifty goals. He just signed a big extension for the Bruins. That's a great. That's a huge win for them. Like the fact that they were even Absolutely. able to afford him too. Yeah, so we'll find it. So I think you're looking at Tampa or Toronto being one of those teams that could give Boston a tough time in the playoffs. And then in, out in the Western Conference, I'm fascinated with really with with Edmonton, with you know with McDavid, with Leon Drysital. You know, can those guys lead Edmonton to a deep playoff run out in the West, which you said is not really that deep right now. I mean, I still want to rule out Colorado making another deep run as well, even though they, you know, right now they're the, they are uh, the, the third seed out in the Central and the Western Conference. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, and the one thing about the hockey playoffs, you know, it's not like all these other – it's not like basketball. You know, you get hot at the right time, you get in, anything is possible. And maybe we'll see some upsets in the playoffs when they start in just about two weeks. But it's going to be a fun ride down the stretch – it's going to be great because in terms of our two local teams that we root for in the winter sports, the Rangers and the Knicks, they're both going to be making the playoffs and hopefully they'll have a deep run late into April and dare I say even May or June. Well, Hank, that's going to put a wrap on the show for this week. Uh, certainly a lot to 
that lots look forward to. Uh, you know, baseball's just starting up. We didn't get to it today, but we will definitely touch on baseball in the coming weeks. You know, opening week was here. I'll just mention one thing. Pitch clock is good. Everything else is not. That's that's pretty much all that needs to be said about baseball. I mean, I, I think it was a good first few games for for it. I mean, the pitch clock's good, but everything else, yeah, not sold on it just yet. But that'll put a wrap on episode 48 of Game On. Game on. Of course, folks, we want to hear from you. Facebook and Twitter, Game On ETB. Instagram, Game On underscore ETB. Our personal handles right below us, right there and there. Nice. And also, our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash ETB Network. Leave us a like. If you're new, hit that notification, uh, hit that subscribe button. And, of course, have your notification set so you know when all of our programming is going to be coming out. And, of course, our website at etbpodcast.com. So, Hank, you have a great rest of the week. And uh, enjoy those hockey games. Will do. I have not missed a Ranger game since uh, late February, believe it or not, at home. Awesome, yes. And you deserve it. Enjoy it. Have a great, great time. So... For Hank and Dictor, I'm Johnny Montepano. Everybody, enjoy your week. Enjoy the beginning of April, and we'll talk to you again next week.